Egotastic Fun Time. Hey gang, I'm JP and welcome back to Egotastic Fun Time. Today we're going to have a great time chatting with legendary television writer Mark Zikri, who besides having written for Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Babylon 5, and Sliders, just to name a few, also wrote the best-selling book The Twilight Zone Companion. Mark is also the creator of Space Command, an original epic science fiction drama series that follows the adventures of a dedicated group of scientists, soldiers, and adventurers exploring our solar system and recalls the space operas from the golden age of science fiction that champion an optimistic view of the future and the belief in the triumphant spirit of mankind. Space Command stars Robert Picardo, Doug Jones, Mira Ferlin, Bill Mooney, Ethan McDowell, Sarah Marafino, and you'll also see appearances by Nichelle Nichols, Armin Shimmerman, Bruce Boxleiter, and Mike Harney, among others. It was an absolute pleasure, you guys, to get to talk with Mark about Space Command and Star Trek and the current state of science fiction and I can't thank him enough for sharing his unique perspective with me. Space Command is a completely fan-funded series with the pilot episode available right now you guys by clicking below. The second and third episodes have already been filmed and episode four goes into production this January. The first season will be 12 hours in total once completed. That's a lot of good sci-fi right there you guys. You'll also be able to find all the links you need right down there to contribute to the Space Command GoFundMe for the filming of the next chapter of the story. Now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Zikri. Well, it's uh, I just got all caught up with Space Command. Great. And I have to, in my words exactly, my sentiments exactly. It was great. I absolutely loved it, and I wanted more. And uh, we might just... Well, thank you. We might as well just jump right into that because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little bit excited. We could talk about other stuff uh, <laughs> here in a little sure. bit, but I want to know where, how did Spaceman, Spaceman, how did Space Command, <laughs> you're the Spaceman in charge of Space Command. Yes, uh, how did Space Command, uh, where, where did you get this uh, idea that you wanted to put this together and you wanted to put it out there into the world. You've put a lot of things out there into the world, but this is something that you're yeah. very passionate about. Well, uh, thanks for asking, JP. I appreciate it. Um, the, you know, I grew up with Star Trek. Star Trek came on when I was 10, and it was, you know, some people have hair when I have Star Trek, and, uh, you know, so it's like, <laughs> um, it, was, it was what I'd been waiting for all my life. It was so great, and it, it's funny because that was before VCRs, so I actually rec recorded Star Trek on reel-to-reel -reel audio tape in case it never showed again. Wow. And uh, I was a little 10-year-old with this big old reel-to-reel -reel deck and working it. So, um <laughs> But 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 Star Trek, of course, inspired me like it inspired millions of people, and um, and it said even though it came out during the Vietnam War and the uh, riots in the cities and all sorts of really dark stuff, mm -hmm. Gene Roddenberry had the courage to say we can reach across boundaries and barriers, we can create a better future, but we have to put our work in and our time in and, and reach out with compassion. He had the courage to be optimistic about the future, and I think mm -hmm. you have to because otherwise you get the future you 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 deserve if you don't create the future that you want. Mm -hmm. And so um, so I was noticing a few years ago that all this science fiction was very dark and very dystopic and sort of the message was, well, it's dog eat dog and the meanest guy's gonna win and there's no hope the future's gonna be worse than the present. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to create a, a show 
that would be inspiring the way Star Trek inspired me, because we certainly live in, in dark and perilous times, but there's also hope, and, yeah. and but you have, to, you have to act. You can't be passive. And um, so, uh, so you know, I've, I've written hundreds of hours of network TV, and um, I, but I didn't want the network to be able to say, well, we're cutting it off at script or we're cutting it off at pilot. And I run a roundtable here in L.A. where I mentor a lot of young people in the industry. And uh, I've been hearing about crowdfunding. Well, I'd never raised money before, but I thought, well, let's see if I can. And to date, we've raised over a million dollars through wow. crowdfunding. And, uh, and I was selling investment shares of 7500 bucks each. And people bought them, and they're still buying them. I mean, someone's, people are buying them today, even as we speak. And that allowed me to take a warehouse, convert it into a studio, a soundstage, and shoot We've actually shot the first three hours of Space Command, and uh, we're ramping up. We're ramping up to shoot the fourth hour in January. It's a 12-hour first season, mm-hmm. and there's tons of science fiction actors, name actors, waiting to be in Space Command. I just have to get to the point where we're shooting their scenes. So, uh, you know, Gigi Edgeley and Armin Shimmerman and Ethan mm-hmm. Phillips and on and on. And um, I've been talking to Jonathan Frakes and Gates McFadden and, uh, you know, the, the next JM cast and so forth. We just shot a scene with Nichelle Nichols, but... Um, but now we're pitching it to Netflix and, and Amazon and so forth. Uh, I just had really great meetings with CBS and NBC. But, but I'm not waiting for them to sort of wave the magic wand. Uh, yeah. My relationship is with the audience. It's not I – don't, I don't look to the networks or the studios to be my um, validation. Yeah. You know, and, You're not uh, waiting for their permission. No. And, yeah. and because I'm at, the st- I'm at the stage in my career where I don't need to make millions of dollars. I don't need them – I'm validated already as a writer, producer, director, so I'm not looking for validation from them, and I'm also not looking for a paycheck from them. If they buy it and they pay me, great. I mean, I'm not going to refuse, you know, money. Yeah. But, but, that's not, but that's never what's been driving me. What's always driven me has been creating quality work that that makes the world a better place. And so that's whether I'm writing Smurfs or He-Man or Super Friends or Real Ghostbusters mm-hmm. or, or or TNG or DS9 or Babylon 5, any of that. I recognize the great possibility of television to inspire people to remove I mean you know if you talk about the modern day people get polarized and you find yourself in an argument yeah but if you just create science fiction and say look we can put all that stuff aside because we can one thing we can agree on is we want a better future for our children and our grandchildren mm-hmm. you know and and even if someone's a conservative or the liberal those become meaningless um, badges if you just say hey let's let's work together so that our kids and our grandkids will have a safe um, good place to live, that they'll be able to raise their families, that there'll be, you know, a future um, that everyone would want to live in. And that, that's something people can find common cause over, whether regardless of race, religion, anything. Everybody wants a better world for their family, you know, and for their, their – for, and, and when you start to see the human race as the only race that matters, I mean, not black, not white, not, you know, Muslim. Yeah, just as – Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, badmouth the dolphins or, or anybody, but you know, but humanity, <laughs> humanity is kind of sort of important to me, and uh, and so that's that's why that's why I'm doing this, and it's been the greatest fun of my life, and I'm I, I just love every single day working on this. Yeah, well, great sci-fi has always held up a mirror to society, and uh, now, of course, in society for the last you know a couple decades. Many of many of the population have kind of been down and don't yeah. you know, don't have that hope anymore. So sci-fi has started to reflect that feeling, which is what you were mentioning when you're saying saying that a lot of sci-fi is dystopian. Which of course there's a a, a place for dystopian sci-fi. It just oh, seems yeah. like okay. it just seems like we're not getting that 
utopian hopeful side anymore and it's really starting to seem like the audience while of course they embrace the dystopian stuff i love dystopian stuff oh sure but uh but since we're not getting the other side it seems like fans of the genre and uh, potential new fans are kind of looking for that hopeful side as well so we're starting to to see a little you know a few things uh file in of course being spearheaded right now as far as big uh series go the orville is is bringing yes. back what i call the gene roddenberry format it doesn't yes. have to be called star trek it should be called gene roddenberry uh yeah uh, format um there's other shows coming but they're a little bit more in the light-hearted comedy vein it's yeah. not really taking that serious uh look yeah. at a utopian future space command on the other hand is you know, humanity for the most part has got their yes. their situation together, and of course, there's going to be some heated, dangerous stuff going on. But that's happening outside of the planet. When you when yeah. you venture out, you come across, uh, you know, you have to work together to overcome things. Now, in this case, in Space Command, there's some mystery, a very yes. intriguing mystery going on 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 Mars. The, the, this yes. find they find this ancient. What turns out to be a spaceship, at least that's all we know, yeah. all, as a viewer I know so far, um, yes. it comes yeah. out, uh, I can't remember, it was millions or years old or something like that. It's yeah, it's 200 million years old. Yeah, and it flies off. And first off, before I get into that, I just want to say that was one of the coolest ships I've ever seen. It had this Thanks. Jules Verne type style to it, uh, this ancient yes. ship. Uh, but uh, well, the yeah, pilot really well, left well, us with the cliffhanger. That, yeah. Well, one thing about that ship, which is super cool, you know, I really love the fact that my audience is helping me make Space Command. And one of the ways we did that was that the alien spaceship, we had a spaceship contest. Mm. And anyone anywhere in the world could enter it. It was through Lightwave, which is a, a CG program, a VFX program. And so um, there's a, a, a VFX artist in Italy who won the contest. And he designed the exterior of that amazing ship. It was and so, so then cool. I hired the interior, yes. And the only guidance I gave in terms of what it should look like is there's, a, um, there's an architect named Gaudi, Antonin Gaudi, who's very famous. He came, comes from the turn of the century. And so I used him as sort of a, a, design, a design aesthetic. Mm. And... Um, and so it was great because if I had just been trying to hire people, I never would have found this guy. And I wanted an aesthetic, just like when uh, when Dan O'Bannon uh, wrote Alien and he hired Geeker to do the alien designs and Ron Cobb and Chris Foss and some others to do the human designs. The fact that you have different artists designing different aspects, mm -hmm. radically different. I thought that by having a different artist design the alien ship and the, in the interior and exterior of that, it would look significantly different from all the human stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what... That's exactly, yeah, that is exactly what happened because if the situation were true and we're seeing a spaceship from another race of people on another planet somewhere, it shouldn't look like anything a human would design. So that it's, yeah. it's, it's great that you're getting all this support from sci-fi fans and the series um, itself, you know, you have all these wonderful actors that are very recognizable from Star Trek and Babylon 5 and uh, Stargate and things like that. Uh, but this isn't a fan film. This is an original so, uh, universe that that was created yes. and an original story. And so it almost, you know, seeing all these familiar faces, especially from the sci-fi world, it feels like it's it's an homage to sci-fi. Yes. Because it, 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 it's not an homage to anything else except for maybe the spirit 
of uh, a certain genre of, of, of sci-fi, but it's, it's great to see all these faces and, and kudos to you for putting for, for getting these faces to, uh, on screen for us to see. So what's yeah, it, it like super, been bringing super, these people in? Yeah, it was super fun for me because, you know, I worked on next gen and DS nine and all these different shows. And I loved these actors. When I met Mira Furlan, when I was writing for Babylon five, I thought, well, she's, I've got to work with her again. Mm-hmm. And, um, George Takei, of course, is, uh, I did a Star Trek episode with him uh, back in, in 2007, 2008, and I'm now talking to him about appearing with some of the things I'm writing. And, and, you know, it's like these are wonderful actors, and so it's not uh, um, any kind of disadvantage. It's a joy to work mm-hmm. with them. And, um, you know, and, 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 and the lovely part is if I had gone to the networks, when I, you know, let's say I'd gotten a pilot deal at you know NBC or ABC or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'd said, well, I'd like to cast Billy Mummy and Mira Furlan and Doug Jones and Bob Picardo. They would have said no. Yeah, they would have so said, you can have one. <laughs> yeah, well, we have this, we have this actor from the CW who can't act, but he's you know he's just been on a hit show. You have to mm-hmm. use him. Well, yeah, but he can't act. Well, work with it. You know, it's like yeah. well, no, because I'm doing it this way. I, I, I think of it as independent television. I don't have to listen to stupid ideas or stupid suggestions, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't mean to badmouth the networks or the, or the studios or the VOD platforms. There are many executives who are very passionate and very smart, but they, again, their bottom line is to generate revenue for the, uh, for the parent company, the corporation, mm-hmm. and I don't have that obligation. I don't care about that, and what I care about is making something that delights me and delights my audience, yeah. and, um, yeah. you know, and so the, the fun part is that you know, when I met Doug Jones, I was writing a book with uh, Guillermo del Toro, and I, I won the Saturn Award and met Doug at the event, and um, I then took him out to lunch a few days later, and I thought he was absolutely wonderful, and I said, I'm going to write a role for you. And also, because he has this amazing, sensitive face, I said, I'm going sh- to show your face. You won't be under foam rubber. you know. And, and I think he's terrific as Saru, but I think it's also really fun to see what he really looks like. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I can just have an idea and go for it. And, and again, you know... Um, uh, with Space Command, the whole notion, it's not that the people won't be at odds against each other, but the whole issue is you come to a moment of choice where you can be compassionate and perhaps put yourself at risk, you know, perhaps risk your job or risk your comfortable life, but do you make the right choice? Do you reach out to others? Do you create um, a better uh, life for everyone, not just for yourself? Mm. And and that's the message. And and again, the, the primary obligation of any... Um, movie or TV show is to entertain, but beyond that, you can move people, you can change them, you can show them a different way of, of looking at things. Like when, when I saw City on the Edge of Forever on the original Star Trek, that changed me forever because every TV show I'd seen before that, the hero saved the girl. Well, in that episode, the hero, the hero throws her under a truck, literally, <laughs> and I realized, but I realized that in life there might be a choice you have to make that is the right choice, but it breaks your heart. But still you have to do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And that was a very important life lesson to me. And then later Harlan Ellison became a friend and a mentor. And um, But, you know, because these writers were my heroes and I sought them out as soon as I could when I was a teenager at science fiction conventions. And um, and I got to know my heroes. And um, and that's why science fiction is so great because you can meet your heroes, both both actors and writers, at these conventions. I, I, I'm I'm as much a science fiction fan as, as anybody, and so this is as thrilling to me as an like making Space Command is as thrilling to me as a as a as a geeky ten year old as it would be to to the adult who sits here talking to you. Yeah, well, that's nice because you're obviously a hardcore sci-fi fan. Your name is Mr. Sci-Fi on YouTube. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of, but you also have this great gift for writing 
as well as understanding the genre. So it's nice to see a production like this, a sci-fi production that is being made by somebody who loves the genre, which, you know, and, and, and you know, like you were mentioning with the studios, you know, you, you'll get some great people on there that, that, you know, want to do what they can to, to nurture a product, but also they have, you know, the other side that they have to deal with. Yes. They have to deal with the corporate side and the money side, because it's all about money, whether yes. n- not necessarily even about making money, about having the money. Yes, to but, to at least recoup. So you 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 have to deal with that with the Kickstarter and the fundraising as well. But it's it's on your own terms. Much less so. Yes, because the good part is that because I'm not at a studio, I can make a high quality hour of television for far less than uh, than a studio or a network could because I don't have that overhead. Mm-hmm. And so and also because my actors will work for you know less than their normal quote because they want to work with me and they want to do something meaningful. And so. Um, so like I said, for that million plus dollars that I've raised, we've made three hours of the show. We're we're putting out the full hour in the next few weeks. We because what I've posted now, there's eleven more minutes that we've created. I mean that we've finished basically that we'll be putting out shortly, which is really cool because it shows what Doug Jones is doing with that alien spaceship, what his intent is. And um, but then we're also actively working on finishing the second hour and and so forth. So my plan is to shoot the entire season regardless of when. A network or VOD platform picks up the show. We're going to keep shooting, and um, and then beyond that, we'll be making other shows as well while we make Space Command. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm very good at multitasking, you know, and uh, but it's it's really really fun. Well, well, it's good that <laughs> you have to be good at multitasking to be doing these yes. sort of things. I mean, I just got back from uh, helping out with production for uh, Axonar, and uh, yes. the, you know, Axonar is coming coming back, and being there, all these people had to work together, and you know. <laughs> to get this done and it was so t- such a tight ship with all these people it was so impressive i've been on you know lots of you know professional productions and and when i lived in hollywood and i was you know working in the industry a little bit but i've never been on a sci-fi yes. <laughs> a sci-fi <laughs> set so it was amazing to see that level of quality that i've seen in you know back in hollywood but for what's basically the ultimate fan Film now. When yeah. it comes to fan films, because you know fans of sci-fi, especially Star Trek, Star Wars, yes. uh, even Indiana Jones, <laughs> we like our fan <laughs> films. But as as I'm sure you're aware, like on the Star Trek side of things, there are some very rigid rules that have come out on fan films, yes. which um, you don't have to worry about. That you don't have to worry. Yeah. You can hire who you want to hire. You can make episodes as long as you want because this is an original production. Uh, you you don't you don't have a limit of uh, funds except for however you know how, yes. however many funds you can can raise. So, is do you think when it comes to fan films when there's that many restrictions? I personally think that it's still worthwhile if you're a fan of the genre. What do you think? Do you think it's worthwhile to do like a Star Trek fan film, or should you go off and do your own original thing? Well, here's, it's, a, it's a really interesting question, JP, and the, um, I've thought about it a lot because, you know, um, I, as I mentioned, I've, I'm, I'm the only writer who wrote for both Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5, and so I came up in the genre, in the studios and network world. You know, that was, that was my world for many years. And then um, I found out about Star Trek New Voyages, which was also called Star Trek Phase 2, mm-hmm. and I'd always wanted to do this great episode with George Takei. I knew they were never going to give him his, his great Sulu episode. So Michael Reeves, who was also a writer for Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, he was an Emmy winner for Batman, the animated series. Uh, We were good friends, and um, he'd come up with this great Sulu idea when they were going to bring Star Trek back in the 70s. 
So I said, would you be open to writing this? And I contacted the boys in upstate New York and said, we'd love to do this. And then I went to George Takei and I said, here's the, here's the storyline. I need you to tell me if you'll do this. And he said, yes, I'm in. And it took me a year and a half from when I started to when I finished that doing that episode. I wrote and directed and produced it. I co-wrote it with Michael Reeves. And... Um, and it was, I put everything I had into it, and I was very, very proud of it. It's actually on my YouTube channel, Mr. Sci-Fi. You can watch it in its entirety there. And it was nominated for the Hugo and the Nebula. It won the TV Guide Award. And, um, and it, but that showed me that you could build a, a production unit at, at the level of a network show mm-hmm. outside of the network and studio world. Because now, thanks to the Internet, thanks to people learning visual effects around the world, you know, whether it's hobbies or as pros, um, you could pull together that team, and but I saw the 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 the, um, the point of risk, and the point of risk was, of course, that we didn't own Star Trek, mm-hmm. and so before I, before I even directed that episode, I, I had lunch with J.J. Abrams because between when I took on World Enough in Time, that's the name of the episode, and we went into production, J.J. had announced he was going to do the Star Trek movie, so I I had lunch with him, and I said, this is what I'm intending to do. Do you have a problem with that? And he said, no, because I knew J.J. because I wrote the Twilight Zone Companion, and J.J. is a huge Twilight Zone fan, and. Um, he said, no, I don't have any problems. So I knew that he wouldn't hear about this project without knowing it was me, contact Business Affairs and say, pull the plug on these guys, because that was always a danger. So when Alec decided to do acts, so for the, first of all, when I did World Enough in Time, they wanted me to direct more episodes of Star Trek New Voyages. And I said, no, because I learned what I needed to learn. And I saw that at any point, they could have the rug pulled out from under them. And same with Star Trek Continues. And I liked the, both of those shows. I, I thought they were honorable and done for the right reasons. And they did some, some really good episodes. But when Alec told me he was doing Axanar, I was very impressed with Prelude to Axanar. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. But when he told me that his hope was that the networks would see Axanar and say, hey, come aboard and create the new Star Trek series. I knew that would never happen in a million years because the, because I came from that world. And I knew that rather than hiring someone who actually knew what they were doing in terms of Star Trek, they would hire some producer that they'd been working with on CSI or something that mm-hmm. had no, no knowledge of Star Trek or no affinity for it. And they would do what they often do, which is they screw it up. And, and that's, not to, that's not to speak ill of Star Trek Discovery. It's been a very rocky road, as we all know, with that show. But, but certainly a number of people who are working on that show love Star Trek. But I knew that Alex was at risk. Alec was at risk because at any point they could say, wait a minute, what the hell are you doing? And that's exactly what Paramount did, CBS Paramount. And so then they listed those, those rules that you have to, you know, you can only do two 15-minute episodes. You can't put Star Trek in the title, all mm. that stuff. And, um, and, for, and they can't use anyone who's worked on Star Trek previously, which is... I don't think that could be supported in a court of law because you can, they can't tell people what they can or cannot do. Yeah, there's the right to work. Right. But, but I'm glad that he's finally gotten to a point where he's now able to shoot what he's allowed to shoot and finish 30 minutes of it. But it's a shame he didn't get to do his two hours because that was his vision. But when I came up with Space Command, the whole idea was, well, I'm going to own this. So no one can pull the rug out from under me because I own the IP, you know, the intellectual property. And so I can cast who I want. I can write what I want. I can shoot what I want. And all I need is, as you said, is money. But my, my audience is, is happy to, do, to finance me. And, and beyond Space Command, um, I've announced something called the Showrunners Network where I'm creating six new series with six major showrunners. Uh, and we'll go to our audience to finance all six pilots into production and then take it out as a slate of shows 
to the buyers. So currently I'm, I'm um, outlining the pilot of a new show called Sweet Haven that I'm co-creating with Rockne O'Bannon, who created Farscape, Alienation, Sequest, Defiance, and he's currently executive producer on um, Evil on CBS. Mm -hmm. And the second slot is with Mark Ferguson, Hawk Osby, where we're co-creating a new show, and they created and run The Expanse and wrote Children of Men and Iron Men. It's going to be six people like that. And it'll be six genre shows. And again, it's just to say the audience is our partner. And if they're willing to, to come up with you know, what we need to do this, we're happy to do it. And uh, I just had lunch a couple weeks ago with Barbara Bain from, Star, uh, from um, Mission Impossible in Space 1999. And she's going to be one of our lead actors in, um, in Sweet Haven, the, the show that Rock and I are creating. And, and Mike Harney from Orange is the, is the New Black and Project Blue Book. And for all mankind, he's going to be one of the leads in it. And I've been talking, I'm writing a role for George Decay. So again, you know, you don't have to deal with all the frustrations of working with a studio or a network if you're willing to not be ruled by money. It's yeah. that simple. And then, of course, the, the goal is, in, in, some way, uh, in some ways, well, in many ways, is to shop this show around to get hopefully picked up by... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, I know you're thinking, you know, streaming, you know, Netflix, Hulu, yeah. Amazon Prime, which seems that's the way things are going. That's the way things are yeah. going. They've already went that way. And sci-fi yeah. does really well on those platforms. Yes. Uh, if you had, but say you had the choice. Say um, mm -hmm. uh, ABC says, "Hey, we want to uh, to pick up this show." Would you still kind of hold off and try to get one of the streaming services? Well, the interesting thing is that the networks are now creating their own streaming services. So ABC has Disney Plus. I just met with NBC. It was a very good meeting, and they have they're starting their VOD platform. So in all mm -hmm. likelihood. Wherever it sells will probably be to a VOD platform, and the cool part about that is they're they'll order a season or two. So it's it's uh, you know, and, and people said to me, well, what if they they want to buy Space Command, but they want to you know reshoot or whatever? No 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 one other than than I mean, no network executive has asked that. But then I would just say, well, what I'm shooting is is part of that universe, and if we want to go off on a different tributary, it can be like Star Trek versus Star Trek: The Next Generation or whatever. It's mm -hmm. it's that's that's the fun part about science fiction. You create a universe, yeah. and um, but no, but no network executive has asked that. And you know, I mean, Space Command, the first hour that has nine over nine hundred visual effects shots. The, the pilot, to our pilot, has nineteen hundred. I mean, no TV show would ever have that many VFX. So we're, uh, you know, we're 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 happy with what we're doing. And uh, you know, so um, but so far so good. And I think one thing that's good is that I have an uh, an enthusiastic audience, and an, and and any buyer, that's going to be meaningful because they don't have to start from a cold engine. <laughs> Going back to uh, well, you kind of mentioned the Expanse, yes, and the Expanse, incredible universe that was created, incredible uh, story. It was done very well on Sci-Fi, uh, yes. But Sci-Fi had to cancel the show, yes. even though they loved the show because they basically oh, yeah. couldn't afford the show, and that well, kind of yeah. and so that that's kind of uh, ties them to what you're doing. Whereas you don't, yes. like if you're on a network, you don't quite have yes. to worry about being canceled for, you know, funding reasons like that. Yeah, well, I think I think, I think think the official motto of the Sci-Fi Channel is, we're the Sci-Fi Channel, we're idiots, you know, is because <laughs> they keep making bad decisions, you know. It's like, obviously, the expanse should have stayed on, mm -hmm. but, um, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to call them names, I mean, basically... Again, uh, you know, thank God the fans rented an airplane with a banner saying, you know, save, save the expanse and flew it over Amazon headquarters. And then, you know, Amazon picked it up for two, for the two more seasons. Whether or not it'll continue to be of good quality, 
you know, the problem is it's different masters. And so mm-hmm. you never know what, see, the problem is if they're writing the checks, you have to listen to them. Yeah. And, and then it becomes a game of contortion where you're trying to shape yourself to their suggestions and not ruin the show. And that can sometimes work fine, and other times it can be a disaster. Um, I've read all the Expanse novels and the novelettes and all of that. I really like them. Um, and, uh, and I think Mark and, and Hawk and um, Narain Shankar have done a very good job with the show. I found it a very slow start, and so for a while, I watched the first couple episodes and wasn't engaged, but then I came back and watched season three, which I liked very much, and then I went back to the beginning and have been watching it in order, uh, you know, and, uh, and I really liked the show. It's a dark show, but, but I think it's, it's hard is in the right place, and certainly it's, the fun part is always to see um, so many shows are reactions to Star Trek. So, for instance, you know, when Ron Moore did Battlestar Galactica, it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to do everything they, everything they wouldn't let me do on Next Gen. Mm-hmm. And so you can expand to sort of the anti-Star Trek in a certain way. But, um, uh, and, and Space Command, where you, you know, when you fit sort of Space Command in this whole equation, Space Command, I think, is more hopeful and more positive. Well, again, my definition of a hero is someone who reaches out with compassion, and my definition of a villain is someone who stays self-protective and lashes out. Mm-hmm. And so when I have that, those definitions, then it's mainly heroes and, and villains are defined by their actions. It isn't like someone is like, oh, embrace the dark side, Luke. You know, mm-hmm. It's like it's nothing you know, mystical. It's basically, okay, are you willing to have empathy? And the people who don't have empathy are, do terrible things, as we can see in the real world. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but, you know, so that's where, you know, I, I love writing characters who you'd want to hang out with, who you'd want to know. And uh, and I'm not into writing about the worst people in the world and how they win because we all know that that happens in the real world. That's mm. not my, my job to reinforce bad behavior. Yeah, you can't really escape if you're just <laughs> – it's not escapism if you're just getting exactly what happens in real life, right? No. no <laughs> and, but, but also with science fiction, I see science fiction as a wonderful mix of escapism and – reality mm-hmm. because I mean for, for instance the pilot is very much about I'm, I've always been very interested in writing about people who are considered invisible the people you can do anything to because they don't matter mm-hmm. and whether that's the homeless or or different races in the past with Jim Crow and things like that or whether it's refugees it's like okay people you can do anything to and and finding a way to get the viewers to see through their eyes and understand that that's not acceptable you have to pe- meet you know come to people with respect and, um, you know, I mean, I strongly believe the words on the Statue of Liberty. It's, it's, it's my favorite poem. Mm-hmm. And um, so the first Space Command episode is very much about that issue of, like, okay, when, when someone is being ill-treated, what do you do about it? And then, the, and then we go into issues of war and issues of refugees as, as the show continues. And, and, but it's not – I'm not on a soapbox. So, for yeah. instance, even Rod Serling yeah. – even Rod knew that you had to entertain people if you were going to try and say something, you know, and uh, he succeeded marvelously. And uh, so I'm very much in that tradition. Yeah. No, uh, as a fan, not knowing uh, where we're going, you know, we get a sense because of the pilot. There's all these great storylines that get set up and we're uh, yeah. and I'm really looking forward to see what's going to happen with Doug Jones's character. It seems like there's a, 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 a revolution, a, a civil rights revolution. Um, yes. you know, about kind of like the measure of a man from TNG, yes. that episode where it's, uh, when do we consider, uh, something sentient? Um, so, uh, Doug Jones's character is a, uh, a synthetic, which I don't yes. quite, is, are they completely artificial that I, I'm not, they're, I wasn't. Yeah. I mean, they're basically, um, 
they're artificial, but again, not metal. It's like made out of like organic parts. But they're, but yeah, and um, and there's sort of I create this thing called Iridium Six that reaches into M space, space, which is sort of another dimension, and that's what gives them sentience. So mm. it's kind of there's a little bit of science fiction, you know, um, hocus pocus. But um, but the basic notion is that yes, he's he becomes sort of Spartacus essentially mm. with his kind, and and starts a. a Basically, uh, uh, he becomes a freedom fighter essentially because he's the only because all the synthetics have inhibitor chips which stop them from not obeying orders. And in a mining accident, his is destroyed. And Bob Picardo, who's the mining supervisor, repairs him. And at Doug's um, plea, he he doesn't repair the inhibitor chip. So basically, Doug is the only synthetic with free will, and he acts upon that. And you know, it's uh, very very fun. But what we're going to be going as we continue, you know, Space Command starts with slower than light drive. We're solely in the solar system. Then we get faster than light drive as the show continues, and we branch out into the stars. And um, Space Command essentially covers 150 years, four generations, well, five generations of four families. As really? We go, yes. And so we go back and forth between the generations over the first season. So, for instance, to put it in context. Armin Shimmerman, you know, who played Quark on DS9, mm -hmm. is playing the grandson of Robert Picardo, <laughs> 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 and uh, which is going to be very, very fun. And 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 so, and so we get to see the ripple effect because another one of the things I play with is the notion that sometimes you make the right decision or the best decision you can in the circumstance, but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt people. It doesn't mean it doesn't have a negative consequence. Mm -hmm. And that is also a very great interest to me. And so uh, so we'll be seeing the cause and effect. Uh, over the course of that 150 years, it's going to be very fun. Well, that you just blew my mind because I, I never <laughs> at all thought I thought we would be just following, uh, you know, Captain what is it, Captain Jack? Uh, Jack Cameron. Yeah, the yeah. whole the whole the whole way. So this is amazing that we're going to see yeah. something happen, and then a generation or so later we'll see yeah. uh, what what developed because of that. Exactly. That and is absolutely mind blowing to me. Yeah. So we'll get to meet. So we'll have. So we have in in Space Command in the first season. We'll see. So there's Anson Kemmer, who's Jack's dad, played by Mike Carney from Orange mm -hmm. Is the New Black. We've I've actually already written the prequel, which we're doing as a graphic novel and a radio play that takes place 30 years earlier. So the so the pilot of Space Command uh, takes place primarily 60 years from now. The second two-hour story takes place three years after that. The third two-hour story, uh, Great Solar War, takes place 20 years after that. So we have big jumps and. Wow. Um, and uh, the first season is 12-hour-long episodes. They're, they're basically six two-hour stories that form a larger story. And so, so in the first season, we'll meet Anson Kemmer, Jack Kemmer, his son, Ed Kemmer, who's Jack's son, Frank Kemmer, who is Ed's son, and Matt Kemmer, who is Frank's son. So, it's, you know, so we see five, five, six generations of that family, and we get to see how that works. And most, for the most part, they're a military family. For the most part, they're in Space Command. And... Um, so it's really fun, and the same, and and certain characters are what I call viewpoint characters, where they don't age, and so they see the entire 150 years. So, so Doug Jones being a synthetic is one of those, mm. and Mira Mira Furlan is has been genetically altered because she was born with um, Huntington's disease, which is what killed Woody Guthrie, mm -hmm. and uh, and she's part of an experimental process that that saves her, but she finds herself practically immortal, very difficult to kill, uh, heals very quickly, and so she'll be in with the other viewpoint character. And um, so, it's, so we get to meet her with her young daughter in the pilot, and then we see where that goes over time. So it's, it's just great fun. Yeah, and a lot of that, I didn't know it was going that direction, but I, I, I remember all of that being set up. 
uh, in conversations yeah. with the characters, she says, you know, she didn't want to burden her daughter with the fact, yes. uh, the knowledge that she's just not going to get older and, you know, things yes. like that. And then um, I just watched, I watched the latest uh, pilot version of the pilot with the improved audio yes. that you put out. And Great. it has a, uh, has that kind of that coming up next on Space Command yes. tag. <laughs> and I'm not sure, is that new? It was, is that in the yes. previous videos? Yes. You, you get, you get to see five hours you can see trailers from five more hours of the show so that's about the first half of the first season and uh yeah because we because my goal since i i mean i've written the first eight hours of the show i'm going to be writing all 12 hours i've outlined all 12 hours and because again you know as a writer from babylon 5 i really admired what joe straczynski did where he knew essentially where he was going and there might have been certain changes along the way because of cast changes or whatever but Mm -hmm. but he knew what the story he was telling and so i felt for myself that it was incumbent that I know what the point of the story is, and and uh, you know, and and as the story continues, you'll start to see the larger shape of it, and uh, it's going to be great. You know, I mean, it's just, um, and I and I talk to my actors, and I say, okay, this is where we're going, and this is what the point is, and then also, unlike uh, Star Trek, um, the novels and the graphic novels will be canon, and so as a result. Uh, the prologue is canon, and that's as I said. We're we're already doing the graphic novel. The first issue of the comic book has been published, and um, and also uh, the first novel's been written by Maya Bonhoff. We're about to put that out, and uh, she's uh, she was a co-writer with me on the Magic Time novels, and also writes the Star Wars novels. Well, I almost feel like uh, we're listening to the we're having the privilege to listening to the beginning. We're getting to see the beginning of a universe be formed. Yes. And right before yes. our eyes, because the you know yes. the the fans, uh, you get the fans excited. They they contribute, and you make more, and then yes. they get excited yes. by that. They contribute. They contribute more, and you make more. So it's kind of yeah. a it's a give and take, uh, yeah, or a give and give well, really. Yes, and thank God for YouTube because I can have my own channel. I was having lunch a couple of years ago with Glenn Mazzara who had been the showrunner on Walking Dead. Now he's the showrunner on uh, the new uh, TV show of The Dark Tower that hasn't debuted yet. And uh, he said, you know so much about science fiction, you should have your own channel. So I created Mr. Sci-Fi on mm-hmm. YouTube, and that allows me to release content. So so one one posting might be me just talking about the history of science fiction, uh, and the other might be an hour of Space Command or the Nichelle Nichols scene or whatever I choose to put up. And so, again, there's this great... Um, immediacy and, and, and direct conversation with my audience. I mean, in a perfect world, I would just be you know, able to reach out to my audience and say, hey, you want to buy another season of Space Command? It's 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks, mm-hmm. and then we'd shoot it. And, and we'll need an audience of millions of people who can do that, so we're not quite there yet, but we're heading there. And, and that's not to say I wouldn't welcome a VOD platform as my partner, because again, there's, there'd be a lot more money. I wouldn't have to raise money. There's a lot to be said for that. And also they could promote and distribute, and, and that would be a great way of banging the drum. But, um, but the, the lovely thing is I ha- I'm, not, I'm not waiting, and I'm not giving up power. So, so I, I take responsibility. I mean, Space Command is what I make of it, but I'm, I wouldn't go back to the old way of doing things in a second, because I love this. I think it's so fun. I mean, literally, to give you to, to let you know how hands-on I am, we're going to be shooting a scene in the next few weeks with Mira Furlan uh, that's uh, set at a departure point. It's on a space station. She's about to leave with her wife mm-hmm. to uh, to an archaeological dig on Altair Four, uh, and um, and so the set will be 
this white leather furniture in the departure lounge. Well, someone on my block threw out a white leather sofa. So I, took, <laughs> I, carried, that, I carried that home. And then someone else threw out four white leather chairs that matched my sofa. So I carried that home. And then another day, someone threw out a white Art Deco table. Well, that matches my chairs and my sofa. And so now I've got two sofas and four chairs and a table, which will be the basic furniture of that departure lounge. And it's like, so, you know, I, I, you know it's, so it can be as, as nuts and bolts as that, mm-hmm. or it can be someone buying, like, five shares in Space Command, and that allows me to shoot for three or four days, you know. And so, you know, it's just, um, I, I, I love the, 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 hey, kids, let's put on a show aspect of all of this. So what's the, uh, because it seems like things are ramping up again. You, of course, you got the yes. pilot out. You've yes. been filming more of the hours, and you're going to be filming more. Uh, yes. I, I, I saw it listed, what, January or something? You have yes, a big shoot? Yes, if, if we can raise, we have to raise a, a, like, you know, about $200,000 between now and January. And that's like, uh, I think, like 20 shares of Space Command or whatever. And then people get my, my part of my uh, profits in Space Command if they buy shares. It's like 7500 bucks each. So it's a, do, it's a very doable goal. And then what happens is we've shot the first hour of the second two-hour story. And that's called Forgiveness. And we're building an alien hibernation ship and creatures to shoot the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And so I've written, Elaine and I, my wife and I write and direct and produce together, but I'm sort of lead dog on Space Command. And so we're ramping up now, but obviously, to, and all of our actors are available in January, so we very much want to um, to be able to shoot. So that just involves raising money, and then we can do it. But it's, I don't know, but if I were shooting at a studio, that hour minimally would cost $5 million to shoot, whereas we can do it for a couple hundred grand. Wow. And so... Uh, you know, so that's because it's it's ours, you know, and uh, and the actors really love what we're doing. And I mean, when I, you know, I was talking to Jonathan Frakes recently and, you know, and, and seeing and I said, it's very funny because I said to him because he's directing, of course, and I, I did, you know, things like with the Orville or whatever, Star Trek Discovery. And I said, well, are you still acting? And he says, if someone's asking and I said, well, I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> and I know he's going to be in Picard reprising Riker, but still, that's only a few days out of his year. Yeah. You know, and I talked to LeVar Burton and Brent Spiner and Gates McFadden, who looks terrific. And, you know, these are heroes to me. And the idea of, of working with them is just, I mean, it's, you know, pinch me. I can't believe I'm, I'm awake. You know, it's, it's just such a dream. Well, that's a perfect, all those TNG names that you just mentioned is a perfect time for me to ask about the episode of The Next Generation that you, that you wrote, uh, which also is a great, it's one of the most memorable, one of my favorite episodes, First Contact, the episode, yes. not the movie, <laughs> for those listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually prefer the episode better, more than the movie, even though I love the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that holds up a mirror to society. It's uh, it, yes. it kind of, one of my favorite things about The Next Generation is they always have, every once in a while, they'd have this episode that very much reminds me of a Twilight Zone episode. And that yes. episode <laughs> very much reminded me of a Twilight Zone episode. Yes. And it's kind of holding up a mirror to society saying, you know, we have, as a society, we have uh, the ability to do these wonderful things, but also we're not necessarily taking care of uh, our people enough in a way where they would be able to be on board with the things that we're capable of or yes. understand them. Yes. So what was it yeah. like? Uh, wh- where did you come up with that idea and, and, uh, and you know? How did you get that into as a Star Trek episode? How did how did that happen? Yeah. Well, you know, because I grew up with Star Trek, I was aware of the enormous possibility of the show, and not 
wasting the audience's time, coming up with something fresh and truthful and profound and entertaining. <clears throat> and so, um, so whenever I went and pitched to Star Trek, because <clears throat> I was going between being on staff on other shows like Sliders, I was a producer on that show and, and so forth, but with, with Star Trek, it was all, I was a freelancer, so whenever I worked up pitches, it would be, well, what haven't I seen before on the show? What hasn't been done? What could expand the parameters of the show, whether it was um, Next Gen or DS9? It was the same approach on my part. And so I remembered when I was a kid, there was, a, there was a, an episode where the Enterprise goes back in time, and they, they uh, encounter, um, I think it was an F-15 jet, and they beam the pilot aboard the Enterprise, and he gets to walk around the Enterprise and gets to see what an amazing future there is to be had and what a larger universe there is. And I remember as a 10-year-old kid watching that episode thinking, gosh, how wonderful it would be to, to be able to, from my mundane reality, to suddenly be presented with that amazing universe, that amazing possibility. And so when I went and pitched the show, I basically said, look, you've done episodes about the prime directive where you can't interfere with a, a, you know, a less developed culture and you have to hide. And you've done ones about the prime directive where the, you know, if a civilization reaches a certain point, you can you know, interact with them freely, such as the Vulcans or the Romulans or Klingons. But you've never done a show where a culture reaches the point where the prime directive switches off and the Enterprise is sent to make first contact. Mm -hmm. And their eyes all lit up. I was pitching this to the entire writing staff. So it was Michael Piller, Ron Moore, Ira Bear, everybody. And, um, and their eyes lit up and they were just amazed. And uh, because they hadn't thought of that one. And what we were talking about it being like was uh, akin to the day the Earth stood still but where we're the flying saucer that lands on the on the White House lawn and the alien comes out, that's us. That's mm -hmm. our guys, and 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 you know, so we get to see the Enterprise and its crew through the eyes of people like us. Yeah. So, so it's a totally different perspective, and um, and that was just so thrilling because it wasn't my job to come up with something that was like all the other episodes they'd done. It was my job to come up with episodes they had never thought of that would and, and not just ones that were different, but ones that were profoundly. Um, moving and truthful and interesting and would really kind of wake up the audience because because all of us have seen thousands and thousands of hours of television so we're kind of numbed uh, in a certain way to oh well I know what's gonna happen some some like I just watched a movie the other day where it's like well I was bored because I knew from the first scene what the gag was gonna be what the reveal was gonna be mm -hmm. and what I really want to sit two hours just to have my you know that payoff no it's boring but so so we have to wake the audience up and surprise them and shock them and turn them on their ear, but in a good way. Yeah. And uh, so I was very very pleased that I was able to do that with the next gen, and then of course with Far Beyond the Stars on DS9, I uh, I was able to do that again. So um, so I'm really proud of the work that I was able to uh, to have happen on on Star Trek and DS9. Yeah, because episodes like that, it's the ending where where the leader of of the planet's like, you know what? I, I would love to be your friend and we can all get together and we can learn so much uh, from you and each other, but we need to invest. He literally said we need to invest in education for a while to get, yeah. to bring everyone up to speed. And that is so relevant. Then is so relevant today as you yes. know, certain things break down. I almost feel like nowadays uh, uh, there's more people that believe the earth is flat than, than they did 5,000 years ago. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's a reason they call it stupidity. Um, you know, <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I'm always amazed at what some of the younger people don't. And it's not to diss the younger people at all because they aren't being exposed to these things. But sometimes sometimes the level of what they don't know is astonishing. And that's, a, of course, where it's so important 
to talk to your elders. I mean, you know, I learned from Harlan Ellison and Theodore Sturgeon and Ray Bradbury. These were friends and mentors. And and so I know, for one, of the, one of the reasons I'm doing the history of science fiction on Mr. Sci-Fi, the history of novels, TV, radio, movies, is because I realized that the, the science fiction fans often don't know the connective tissue, that, that Metropolis leads to things to come, leads to 2001, leads to mm -hmm. Star Wars. It's like this led to this led to this. And it's so fun to see um, where the inspiration came from. And, uh, and so, um, so I, love, I love having conversations um, with with all sorts of people because it's like let me tell you what I know tell me what you know and uh, and it's just fun if you if you and, and I think you can tell just from the way I talk I don't come to anything with arrogance I'm I'm humble in a certain way where I'm thrilled to be learning new things I'm thrilled to um, you know I'll hire someone you know who's never had a professional credit if they can do the job mm -hmm. because if they're great at it that's fine so some of the people we're working with on Space Command are very famous some people are just starting out and I don't. I don't have a pecking order in that way. I'm if someone comes with a good heart and enthusiasm and brings their A game, I'm I'll work with them absolutely. Well, what are you speaking of looking forward to things? What are you looking forward to uh, for the fans to see with what's coming yes. up on Space Command? Yes, well, lots is coming. First of all, we're going to be in the next few weeks we'll be re releasing 11 more minutes of the show. And so you'll be able to watch um, what where where Doug Jones is going and what his plan is, and, and you'll see how Mira and Bob Picardo react to that, and you'll see how Bill Mummy fits into all of this, and uh, and of course, you know, Captain Jack Hammer and the Paladin and the sister ship, the Templar. You'll get to see a lot more of what's happening. You'll get to see a lot more of, okay, now I start to see the shape of this thing. And then actively, we're working on the second hour of the pilot, and so as soon as that's done, we're gonna send out, you know, well, first of all, for the holidays, we're gonna send out the full first hour with tons of extra features for those who've ordered the downloadable content. I'll post the, the pilot, the, the expanded pilot on Mr. Sci-Fi. And then as soon as we're done with the second hour, we'll post that. And meantime, we're polishing, you know, we're doing BFX on the third hour. And, and when we shoot the fourth hour, we'll have four hours of content that we can put out in the very near future. And that's that's a good chunk of the first season. And uh, so, I, you know, and we're, just, and, and we're gonna be shooting a lot more. I'm, you know, I've been reaching out to Kier Delay for a role. And um, J.G. Hertzler of Star Trek and DS9 is going to be in Space Command. And I just as I hung said, out with him a week or two ago. He's a great guy. <laughs> he's a great guy. And so, so I, so my goal is as soon as we finish shooting Forgiveness, the second two-hour story, to go right into shooting uh, Great Solar War, which is a big space battle thing, and all sorts of cool stuff happens in it. And and then go right from that into the next one and the next one and the next one. So there's a ton of stuff. And then we're also going to be recording the, the radio play, the prequel. And so there's a, and then once the, the graphic novel and the prequel are done, we'll merge them into what's called an animatic. It's like an animated storyboard using the visuals and the audio. Mm -hmm. And that the audio will have our, our actors, Doug Jones and Bob Picardo and Mira Furlan and so forth. So it'll be, and it'll tell you where those characters came from and what their lives were like before, before the pilot starts. So it's just going to be... The next year is going to be extremely exciting for Space Command fans. Well, right now, the pilot is available. Right now, yes. you can click down below. Uh, it's right there on YouTube to watch. I'll, I'll put the latest one down there. Um, Great. But for future episodes, future, you know, clips, scenes, trailers, that you know, yeah. I'm sure that's going to be on YouTube. What are the plans Because uh, for future episodes? Are you, do you plan on putting them on YouTube or download, you know, pay for the download or... Uh, you know, Apple. You know, oh. or you know, I know you'd love to get picked up by a by a VOD if yes. if, if the opportunity yeah. arises, which it should. Yes. I would well, hope. 
Yes, well, I mean, as my immediate uh, thoughts are, if, you know, we're actively pitching the show, so if it gets bought, terrific. But, they, but the buyer has to be willing to take the journey where we're going. If they say, you know, put a kid and a, and a, and a stupid robot in it or something, you know, I mean, if they wreck <laughs> it, there's no, I'm not selling this to you any more than I would sell my kid to you. You know, yeah. it's like, no. Um, you know, it's, uh, so I, that's, again, where I have power. If, um, but if they want to take, the, take the, the journey with us, then great, absolutely, because that means we can complete more and more, you know, a lot more quickly. Because that's the one thing that the less money um, costs you, which is it takes a long time to finish. Yeah. But, um, but, we'll be, but, on, but because I have Mr. Sci-Fi, I can post anything I want, and we will be. And so, uh, so for, the, for the fans of Space Command, just subscribe to Mr. Sci-Fi. And first of all, you'll know the latest news. So if it does sell to Netflix, you'll be the first to hear. But also, as I shoot more scenes, we post them, and people can comment on them, and they can actually—I'll actually refine stuff. So if they say, "Well, um, I noticed this glitch," I'll fix it, and that's really fun. They get to be very much a part of the conversation, you know. And I, I love that. You know, um, if, if Star Trek had been able to do that when I was a kid, I would have been, you know, happy to say, "Hey, you know, I noticed this shot of Spock, and his, you know, he looks a little greener than usual, or whatever." Mm-hmm. You know. Well, no, <laughs> that would have been very few productions now or ever have, have the fans been able to really have a say. Uh, the yes. closest the closest I can really think of that is with video games. If yes. there's a beta going on, the fans notice things or they request certain things. The, the developers will sometimes go in there and make those changes. So you, it's kind of like uh, the fans are definitely making this with you. Which yes, is, they are. And, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, which is amazing. <laughs> yes. Well, well, it's also they don't have creative control over me. But I'm certainly open to a good suggestion. So, for instance, one person said, well, are there foreign languages in space and not Vulcan or Klingon, but like languages we speak here? And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. So Mira Ferlin speaks Serbo-Croatian, and I cast an actress who speaks the same language so play, to play her daughter. And so they, when they're alone together, they speak a mix of Serbo-Croatian and English. And then when they're with other people, they speak English. And, and they'll, they'll have some asides in their own language so people can't understand. And, and it's just fun because, of course, we'll have French and Spanish in all of our languages when we go out in space. That's what's happened over the last 50 years mm-hmm. as we've gone out in space. So, so it's fun to have that suggestion and say, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and we just had a Name the Creature contest where we had two winners of that. And we had a, a Make Your Own Spacesuit contest where someone sent us a spacesuit and we just put it in the scene we shot. Mm-hmm. And so, so and we, we're going to be announcing the second phase of the spacesuit contest where they can go on Mr. Sci-Fi, check out the rules, and they can build a spacesuit from our designs or one from their own. And, and everyone who enters, who enters the contest gets credited on the show as a spacesuit builder, and we, we use the spacesuits. So it's... I mean, it's very collaborative, and I, I love that. It's super fun. Well, the, um, it seems like, well, it doesn't seem, it is true that you guys have, have built up this audience that want to see you guys at conventions, and they, yes. they and you just got back from uh, Duluth, a convention yes. in Duluth? How did that t- go? It was great. It was an independent, an independent TV festival, and a lot of the networks were there, and a lot of um, big companies. So we actually got a lot of terrific meetings. That's where we met. We met with CBS and NBC, and we're following up now with them. And uh, it really is the, the world. Really is Hollywood. I mean, the entire world now is making content, which is terrific. I mean, science fiction never predicted we'd all have video cameras in our pockets. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's fabulous. Or the and, internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the internet, and I love. I, you know, I mean, it's sort of like. It, when I started in the business, I, I've been a TV writer since I was 22 or 23. I've been a professional writer since I was 19. 
And when I started, you needed a studio or a network if you wanted to reach a mass audience. You needed a, a, an established publisher. Now you don't need any of that stuff. <clears throat> All you need is the will to make something happen. And, the fa and also, I think the fan films are a great thing. Star Wars, Star Trek, any, any of, the, of the franchises. Because when I was growing up, it was Star, Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever fan fiction. And that was fine. And it just evolved into fan films. That was a natural evolution of the relationship between the fans and the creators that started in the 1920s and 1930s. As I mentioned, Ray, Ray Bradbury was one of my mentors, and he wrote fanzines when he was a kid before he was a professional writer, and those were printed on Mimeo, and uh, <clears throat> which is very different, of course, from Vimeo. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's something that the suits don't get, and this is true of CBS Paramount. They don't understand that it doesn't cost them a penny. It doesn't hurt the integrity of their franchises to let the fans play in their sandbox, you know? Mm -hmm. And Lucas, George Lucas understood that when he had prizes for the best fan film. <clears throat> as long as they don't sell them, it makes sense. And I, yeah, they sense. shouldn't here. Yeah, but uh, they, the suits don't get it. Yeah. The suits don't get it. Yeah, well, even with uh, all the, the harsh rules that have come down on Star Trek fan films, I still think it's worth, worth it to make it because... Yeah. Uh, so, sometimes 15 minutes is all you need. Some people will put yes. more than they need into a story. Also, yeah. uh, do it because you love what you're doing and do it because you get to show people what you got. Because your yes. next film will be some, won't be Star Trek. Your next film will be something original. Or your next yeah. project might be something that Steven Spielberg saw your film. And they're like, hey, I like the way yeah. they edited this or directed it. And, you know, they'll, they'll give yeah. you a little job or, or, you know, or a big job uh, on their next yes. thing. It's, it's, a, it's a springboard. But also you're making something that your heart is into. So you might as well do yes. your first, you know, start off <laughs> before your heart gets beaten down and taken away from you yes. by the industry. Uh, do something yeah. that excites you, even if there's rules on it. Yeah, well, and again, it's like, the fan films are being done for love, mm. and that's that's never a bad reason to do something. I mean, if you do something from your heart, something you just love doing, it shows. It comes across. Whereas so much of TV and film, um, it's clear it was for a paycheck, or why does this exist? It's because they thought they could make money. And again, I don't mean to badmouth money, certainly, but um, but that's why you get bad storytelling. And I think one thing that's always been great about science fiction is the guy, and that's why I wanted to do Far Beyond the Stars, was because, you know, the guys who started writing science fiction in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, they weren't making a fortune. They were doing it for the love of it. They were getting paid a penny a word or five cents a word or maybe $1,000 for a novel. And yet those are the, the Isaac Asimov and Heinlein and Theodore Sturgeon and Ray Bradbury, you know, they were doing it for the love of it. And, and it showed. And that's why I wanted to show that world in Far Beyond the Stars, because I wanted to say, look, this is where we came from, and that's why it's, it's of such quality. And you can create a future by, by imagining one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, that's why we all love this genre so much. You know, it's, uh, you know, I mean, we all saw the moon landing in our heads before it actually happened, and the science fiction writers teaming with the scientists brought that into existence. It wouldn't have existed if not for Arthur C. Clarke and, and Ray Bradbury being such um, prophets of the space age. And uh, and they teamed up with Werner von Braun and all those guys, and and it became a reality. And um, and that, and now we've got guys like Elon Musk. I mean, it's really fun. When I was reading science fiction as a kid, <clears throat> you know, it was always a, a crazy, uh, you know, millionaire who was going to fund the space exploration. And now that's what we've actually got, except they're billionaires. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think the like, I mean, who's going to land the first mission um, to Mars is probably either the Chinese or Musk. And I'm I'm hoping it's Musk. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that would be one. Well, taking yourself, uh, taking your your history, your 
your your work, your career out of the equation, just as a sci-fi fan, uh, yeah. what in the current state of sci-fi, what we're getting, what we've been getting the last few years and what we're, we're going to be getting, uh, what excites you as, uh, as just as a fan? A, I'm, ex- I'm excited about uh, Westworld and the Expanse, uh, both. Uh, the Expanse, uh, I hope it'll be a good season. Um, you know, I, it, I I prefer the novels generally, but I've, I've really become fond of the show as well now. And, uh, you know, it, the trailers look good, so I, I have high hopes. And, you know, I'm, I'm open to anything, TV or movie or book, mm-hmm. you know, that, that does something um, different and special. I just read a book by Adrian Tchaikovsky that I liked. Um, I try to keep – I'm usually reading several books simultaneously. Usually one will be history or science, and then there might be some science fiction book from, you know, previous decades and then something new. And, uh, you know, and, and so I'm always on the lookout. Martha Wells, I'm going to be reading her shortly. I've heard good things about her. I've met her. And, um, you know, you, you never know where you're going to find that, that inspiration. Or, you know, I feel part of a great tradition of science fiction, and it's still ongoing. And um, I'm thrilled to be creating stuff um, now. And, uh, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I've sold a new book called Greenlighting Yourself that Elaine and I are writing. And it's about how people can basically been, do what I've been doing and how you don't need to wait for the studios or networks to, uh, to wave the magic wand, as I said. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, I think it's terrific. And, uh, and many of the people who run the new shows, For All Mankind, that's another show I'm looking forward to, the Ron Moore one where the Russians land a man on the moon and beat us. Yeah, that, I think it's on uh, Apple TV, I think. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it'll be great. I mean, Ron has a great track record and he's a really smart guy. And, and it's so fun to have met these guys when they were just starting out. Like I met Ron and all of those guys from, from Star Trek The Next Generation when they were in their 20s when they were just starting out. And it's, I think what Ron has done with his career has been uh, really fabulous. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think it's really tough when it comes – well, not even just sci-fi. With any style of uh, visual you know, movies, TV, Hollywood does not seem to be willing to take the risk anymore on anything – that doesn't already have name recognition. Kind of going back to what you said yeah. about if you know if you had if you were working under a studio, they want to put this one actor into it as the star because he yeah. just did this other thing. It's it's kind of like right. that. So it is it is nice to see shows or, or movies that are new that are different. So we're we're getting yes. we're getting th- these things. Of course, Westworld kind of had. Uh, yeah. Name recognition, but not really. I right. mean, it wasn't a huge. It wasn't a huge thing. Certain, yeah. you know, people were aware of the name, but of course, the series is completely different than than the original movie. Uh, yes. It is kind of interesting, though, with Westworld. Westworld, in my opinion, you know, sci-fi is very dystopian nowadays, as we know. Yes. But I feel Westworld isn't dystopian. I feel it's it's the aftermath of what happens to people in a certain type of utopian future it seems yes. like they're utopian but people got bored with with peace and yes. being well fed and so they go out to to search for this danger for this dystopian yeah. side of things yeah um, so it's it, it's it, and then with the expanse i feel we're getting a very realistic version of what humanity might be like 200 years from now yes. which is very dystopian if things stay on their path so yeah but, so. And, I, and david strathern's been terrific and i really i really loved him in the last season and I, i'm glad to see he's gonna be in the next season he's an actor i very much want to work with and there's an actress i can't remember her name but she plays her his second in command she's native american and she's playing a belter and she's really good too is she the one with the uh, real thick eyeliner yes she has yes, become yes, my yes. favorite character I, in the, in the, and the, and i think it's because as an actor, 
every word that comes out of her mouth, I believe. Yes, and, she's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, but, but see, this is where it's so so much fun to be doing what I'm doing because I've been talking to Mark Fergus, and you know, and I can say to him, well, you know, can you reach out to David Strather, and I'd like him in Space Command, you know. So, and so then it becomes a conversation, and just see who's willing to uh, to take the ride with me. But it's. Um, it's super fun. And also with Space Command, we had a worldwide talent search for two of the leads where anyone in the world could audition for two of the leads, and we would consider them seriously. We, we actually ended up casting nine of our actors from that worldwide talent search. We got 1,200 video auditions, and, uh, and Ethan McDowell and Brian McClure were two of the people we cast. And, uh, and that was fun, too, because, again, I didn't have to ask permission. It was just like, I'm going to do this. I don't, you know, it's because it's fun. And, uh, and I'm really glad I did. So... But but it's also fun to be part of that community of showrunners who are doing it for the right reasons. And so with Mark, you know, as I mentioned, I'm creating a show with Mark Fergus and his partner, and uh, and the show with Rock Neil Bannon, and 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 I'll be announcing soon the other four uh, people who are who are the my partners on the showrunners network because we're doing six six series, and we lay out the entire show before we write the pilot. So it isn't like what do we do now? Yeah. We, we know what we're doing, you know, and, and it's incredibly fun and. Uh, you know, it gives actors this wonderful opportunity. So, um, I mean, actors, talented actors, you know, actors get a bad rap. Um, uh, you know, every actor I've ever worked with has been just um, wanting to do a great job and very collaborative. And if you give them good material, they're thrilled. And I, 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 I feel blessed to have the actors I've worked with. Well, yeah, it's, it's Hollywood is a very, well, it's not even just Hollywood anymore. <laughs> uh, productions are going on all over all over now Hollywood is only a, a piece of it yes. anymore but it's a small community well it's a big community but it's also a small community at the same time so when yes. when you when you get on a production everybody there is your your world everything your success relies on their success so people yes. really seem to pull together and you know they get a bad rap because as soon as the production's done you got to go to the next thing so you, right. you don't have time to to, to to call and hang out with the people that you just you know became yes. best friends with for for a few weeks <laughs> um, but yeah these are people and, and you know even with uh, star trek discovery you yes. know a lot of us are not happy with it but at the same time i'm always saying look these are people on these sets that are trying to do good work Yes. They, they're 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 trying to do the best that they can with what they're allowed to do and as far yes. as and even with a lot of the politics side of things and the lawyer side of things they're not even aware of that they just have these no. scripts and these characters or they're they're the camera person or the sound person yeah. and they just want to do the best of their ability and um so even though you know if i go after discovery i never go after the people that are no, involved that's appropriate i agree with you and <laughs> And also, I think I think Doug Jones has been very, doing a very good job as Saru. It's one of the one of the few characters who's compassionate. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, when I talked earlier about compassion being important, you know, I mean, I think of Star Trek as having a compassionate message, and I think that's part of the problem with Star Trek Discovery. I think the big problem with Star Trek Discovery is the writers' room, because if you've got twenty yeah. people in a room all pulling in different directions, you're going to have chaos. And um, and so it's very hard. I mean, they, you know, Star Trek uh, Discovery and Star Trek Picard have some very good writers. I mean, Michael Shabon won the Hugo for the, the Yiddish Policeman's Union, which is a great novel. And, uh, but, but, you know, that's why, again, I came up, I, I, you know, every writer's room I was part of was three writers, three mm -hmm. total, on a 22-episode order, and 11 episodes would be freelance, and then we, we would rewrite those to match the show. But, um, but three people can agree, whereas 20 people in a room is just going to be nuts. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I don't really uh, much like the the way TV shows are written nowadays. I mean, in terms of the, just the number of people and the waste of time 
and talent. Um, you know, a, a smaller staff gives you a lot more efficiency and 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 voice and direction. Because, for instance, when I was a producer on Sliders, you know, it was me and Chris Black and 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 one other guy writing all of them. Mm -hmm. And so we could say, okay, well, this is where the season goes, and this is what the point of it is, and here's some ideas and. You know, it was very quick. We'd come up with an idea. We'd outline it maybe in a day or two. We'd write a script in a week and then rewrite it in another week, and, and a month later it would air. And that's – I love that. And uh, But but you can see the chaos on the screen in Star Trek Discovery just because of what's going on behind the scenes. I think the second season had a little more narrative um, uh, punch, but it was a wacky story. Yeah. The Red Angel, that nonsense. And uh, – and God knows what the third season is going to be, but you know, and then Star Trek Picard. We'll see what that is. But I, I keep calling it, you know, Picard the Walker years because he's kind of like, you know, eighty year old guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm hoping it'll be good, but you know, but again, it's like, okay, good luck, you know. And but but I'm always rooting for all these shows, you know. It's like, I don't want them to crash and burn. I mean, I remember that the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation was very weak, and finally they got Mike Michael Piller aboard, and he got he put it in in hand. But it took them a year to find out what they're, who they were and who these characters were. Um, maybe Star Trek Discover will – but see, the great thing is that Star Trek is now like the works of Shakespeare, where maybe there will be a bad play or a bad production, and then there will be a good one. And so they, same with Tarzan movies or whatever. I mean, there's certain franchises or Sherlock Holmes. There will be bad versions and good versions. So whether or not Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek Picard works or is successful uh, artistically, eventually there will be another Star Trek show that does work uh, because the franchise has proved, proven itself extremely durable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on we go. Yeah, I've said that same thing in, in many of my videos. I'm like, Star Trek Discovery just might be the bad Star Trek show that we don't care for as much. But Picard <laughs> might be amazing. But also, yeah. even that said, I take Discovery season by season. Yes. I, and that's the best way to do yeah. it because I, yeah. from what I've seen, season three, story-wise, could potentially be very, very good. But it, sure. but if you didn't like season one and season two, season three, there's nothing season three is ever going to do to get you on board right. with that. Because yeah, in I my opinion, it, like you said, it is the writing. In my opinion, and yes. I don't even mean necessarily the writers. I mean yes. what the the first off, too many cooks. That's very yes. obvious. Too many cooks. Um, also, it's uh, what the confines that they're working under, what they're allowed to do, what they've been told to go do. But then also when they come back with something. There should be someone there to say, mm -mm, not this, go back and, and rework yeah. it, right? Because they well, must be talented people or else they wouldn't have gotten hired. Yeah, well, you, if you look at most of the successful science fiction shows, there's one guy at the top who has the vision, whether it's Gene Roddenberry or Serling or Ron Moore on, on the BSG reboot or, you know, any of these, or Joe on Joe Straczynski on v, Babylon 5. You know, the best shows, or Chris Carter on X-Files, there's usually one guy at the top. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be other writers below them who have a vision and who have skill, but there's usually one guy, and I think on on Next Gen it was P Michael Piller, and uh, and you know because he had so many talented writers and he knew how to build them and train them, and now they're all showrunners. Whether it's Ira Bear or Ron Moore or Brandon Braga, they've all gone on to great great careers. And um, but you know, but I take Star Trek Discovery minute by minute. You know, like, <laughs> okay, that wasn't bad. Let's see what the next one is. Um, you know, it's funny because periodically fans will ask me, well, well, you know, why don't they ask you to be to, you know, to write for Star Trek Discovery? And it's like, well, I'd, you know, if they, if they had reached out to me and said, hey, would well, you want to come aboard? I would because I'd be very interested to see if I could wrestle that beast to the ground, you yeah. know, because there's a lot of talent being wasted. I think the cast by and large is, is good. 
And I think it's just that the story keeps taking all these weird convolutions and you try to follow it like, oh, so Michael's the Red Angel or her mother's mm -hmm. the Red Angel. No, no, it's Michael's the Red Angel. So what the yeah. hell? They had you this know, whole three-episode arc about bringing yeah. Dr. Culver back through the magical uh, uh, mycelial cocoon. And then that yeah. all just ended up being, ah, yeah. I feel different. Yeah. I thought something interesting yeah. was going to come from that. He's I like, know. no, I just feel I different. Uh, just throw, throw it away. <laughs> And then, and then they have that one episode where it's just they're all writing letters like because they're going to die and they're all writing letters to their families. Like, Who cares? Who cares? I don't yeah. want to watch an hour of this. You know, it's like, <laughs> fine, onward, you know, please, you know, be, be, be brief. You know, you can you just send a telegram. Don't write a letter. But, um, you, you know, it's like uh, they just have uh, – it's kind of just tone deaf in a certain way. Though I liked Spock. I liked the fact that they hired Gregory Peck's grandson, and mm -hmm. I thought he was a good Spock. You know, um, you know, yeah, so I'm actually split on him. I, I like him as the bearded Spock. <laughs> I don't like it when he sh they shaved him and put him in the regular uniform, right. and then I'm like, oh, now he doesn't feel like this new right. the Spock that you know that we were introduced to. Now he feels like he's yeah. not playing Spock correctly. Whereas before, yeah. when he was a different bearded Spock, I'm like, okay, I could get on board with yeah. him. I can't wait for him but not I, to be I, crazy, I, but. <laughs> When he was the bearded Spock, I called him the beatnik Spock, you know, because he yeah. looked like Maynard G. Kreb, you know, or something. And yeah, but uh, I agree, I agree. So Star Trek Discovery is always where there's strengths and weaknesses to it. But and the Orville is a very different kind of show from Star Trek Discovery. It's sort of, um, you know, it's Seth's Star Trek. You know, mm -hmm. it's very much Seth's vision of what's. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, but it's like it's like the Star Trek: The Next Generation he would have done, and it's. But but again, another problem with both shows. Is you know I get I get um, messages from my, my fan base where they say they can't watch Next uh, Discovery or The Orville with their families because of the there'll be various co content things that that you know and so I say with Space Command it's it's a family show it's a show just like Star Trek Next Generation and it's not that we won't have controversial subject matter mm -hmm. but you know I mean you know Mira Furlan is married to a woman she's gay and but that's because I'm writing about the world that I live in you know and I'm in favor of of people having the same rights as, as anybody, but but we're not going to have people, you know, dropping f bombs and all that stuff, uh, you know, because again, I want people to be able to watch with their kids because this show is, is intended to inspire people, and that doesn't mean that other shows I create won't be much more um, earthy. Let us say, certainly Sweet Haven will be the one I'm creating with Rockne O'Bannon. Uh, that has a lot of cursing in it and a lot of, you know, I mean, Christ, it opens with a bar fight, but you know. Um, but you know, but again, it's I'm very aware of my audience, and and I want people to be able to sit down with their families to watch Space Command very much so. Well, let's see here. We've been going for a while, so I want oh, to, uh, I want to get your pitch. I am I am, <laughs> I'm Netflix, and you want to sell mm -hmm. Space Command, and by Netflix I mean I'm the fan. I'm a fan. I'm a sci-fi yeah. fan. Uh, yes. I want you to sell Space Command to the fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you bet. Well, I mean, what I, you know, what I really say is, I'd say, watch the first hour, watch the trailers, and then I'll tell you where the first season goes and what goes beyond that. And if you're not excited, then then you guys aren't the right guys. Because I'm thrilled at this. I can't wait to wake up in the morning. I cannot wait to uh, to work with my team. Uh, I mean, even when we're done with our conversation here, which I'm enjoying tremendously, I go off and sit down with my producer and we go over VFX and all of these other aspects of production and co-production. I mean, we're in post-production and pre-production and production simultaneously, and I love that. But, I mean, Space Command is the kind of show that that your kids will love, you will love. It will be 
everything you want the future to be. It's exciting, it's adventurous, it's moving, it's truthful, it's imaginative. It's just the show I want to make and the show I want to watch. Well, I want to watch it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark, thank you so much for uh, having an egotastic fun time. I'm, I'm sure there's a million other things we can just keep talking about. Uh, I, we can dive deep into uh, the real Ghostbusters any day. Yes. <laughs> I was going through, I was going through your yeah. list of these writing credits from the '80s. I'm like, oh my god, I watched every single one of those. Yeah. <laughs> there was the Smurfs. Yeah. There was the Get Along Gang, uh, which know, I think that theme song is still stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's great. It's great. I'll tell you one Get Along Gang story. It was, uh, um, the, what was it? The Get Along Gang or was it Biscuits? There, Michael Reeves and I were writing the episode, and there were these the, the male dog and the female dog were talking to each other. And we were using a Bogart gag, uh, Humphrey Bogart, where it was like, and he said, I've met a lot of dames in my time, but you're, and we had to come up with something that referenced dogs. And we were just breaking our brains on it. And finally I came up with it. And the line was, I've met a lot of dames in my time, but you're pick of the litter. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's like, you know, but, but again, I was bringing my A game to everything I did. I loved writing for Smurfs. I loved real Ghostbusters. I never wrote down. I, someone once asked me, are you writing? When I was writing animation, they said, are you writing for, the, for the, the child in the audience? And I said, no, I'm writing for the child in myself. You know, mm -hmm. so, yeah, one of, so my, just, one of my fondest, like, you know, you, you watch certain sci-fi shows, and all of a sudden a story will come out that kind of blows your mind a little bit. It's like, oh, I never thought of that before. Yeah. Uh, I've always been a time travel junkie. I love time travel mm -hmm. storylines. So... There was an episode of Darkwing Duck where Darkwing Duck went into the future and, you know, something was, he went into the future with a time machine and he was going to, he was, he was, uh, wanted to meet himself in the future to, to do something. But when he got there, it was a dystopian future and he was not there because he'd left the present. So he wasn't there to live out those 15 years. So it was a world that was without him. And that just blew my mind. So wow. you never know where you're going to get some high ideas from. Yes. Yes. It's exactly true. And, and those of us who were writing animation back then, we were all huge fans. fans. We slipped stuff in wherever we could. And, uh, you know, whether it was Black Star or, or real Ghostbusters, I mean, you know, it, and we all knew each other. I mean, literally, we were hanging out at parties uh, on the weekends, and we were a very teetotaling bunch. We were just drinking, like, you know, Perrier or whatever, uh, very squeaky clean. And um, and many of us are still friends to this day. I mean, it's uh, I look back on that time with, with great fondness. Well, I want to thank you for, uh, for visiting me today. We're going to have to do it again sometime because I'm sure there's going to be yeah. some updates. And hopefully yeah, I'll be able to make it out when, when some production's going on and, and uh, you know, we'll... We'll do some social media live stream and stuff. <laughs> you're, always, you're always welcome here. And uh, I've had a great time talking with you, JP. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you later. And uh, I have to say this because I'm the Orville Evangelist. Jalo Jalong and Prosper. Hey, gang, are you ready to show off your sweet love for both the Orville and Star Trek? Stop by Egotastic Tees to pick up the all-new Seth Trek Retro Tee today. If you liked JP's video and want to help Egotastic Funtime grow, click on the Patreon link and give him all your money today. Egotastic Funtime, we're gonna have a great time. Egotastic Funtime, give me all your money. Give him all your money. You will find me funny. Just give me money. I love money. Give me all your 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 money.